Marty Robbins, can you do El Paso? To the town of our freedom rode a stranger one fine day. Never spoke to folks around him, didn't have too much to say. No one dared to ask his business, no one dared to make us live. The stranger there among them had a big iron on his hip. Big iron on his hip. I can do big iron. Wow. That's really good. Johnny Cash, which Cash? I fly a starship. (laughs) I've been doing a bit where I just do the highwaymen. I knew a kid in third grade who loved Kiss. He didn't like Kiss. But, like, the idea of demons wearing armor is dope. I think that's what's going on with Trump. And I think I think that's the only reason my shit has connected with anybody is because I'm talking about fucking Super Mario. It has nothing to do with the actual circumstances we're mired in that go nowhere, where the, memory, the fucking men in black memory wipe happens every 36 hours and everything that we knew the first day is completely gone. There's nothing to latch on to. So, yeah, abstracting is the only thing that's the only entertainments that seem to that seem to work well, i mean i kept can't saying that i like, can't fucking forget Sonic. have you have you tried doing trump in kiss makeup i think that would be <laughs> pretty long tongues they got really long tongues what they're doing with tongue and with with rock and I roll i think it's yeah. it's all night frankly it's probably all night and they're partying pretty much every day i think they're doing it a lot of times <laughs> with love gun and respect to with respect to Ace Freely, you know, he was a starman and Mr. Bowie, they don't have the songs for the new Bowie, do they? They don't have the songs and no one's going to see it. It's a real shame because Bowie, there's a lot there with Bowie and with Freddie and with all of them. Um, I could listen to that for like the rest of this. I really could. And I can do it for a long time and I think that's how I'll die. Hog with Mike Bridenstine is brought to you by No Coast Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Mike knows like so, like the biggest names in comedy. Dude, you gotta see this guy's fucking show list. He like has like the biggest names on uh, in comedy on his on his show. It's kind of unreal, Mike, how you do that. The best po- panel pod on the internet. And this is what the show's about, Nick. That we have our finger on the pulse of America's uh, trends. <laughs> Obama is the actual devil. Crocodile Dundee was cool. Yeah, welcome to Hunk with Mike Bridenstine. Mike Bridenstine. Shout out Rick Gonzalez. Shout out Bad Planet. Shout out Unpicked Podcast. Shout out to the Buffer. Shout out No Coast Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. At the top, you heard James Austin Johnston, the newest cast member of Saturday Night Live. If you want to go back and relive him on this show, he's on episodes 56, 82, and 96. Always hilarious. One of the best, most original impressionists and comics out there. So big. Congrats, and good luck to him. Guys, I went into the woods for my anniversary. So, no panel this week, but I have something pretty fucking good in its place. Pete Holmes is back. You know him from Crashing on HBO and from You Made It Weird. He's a famous person. And I wanted him to come here and talk Chicago comedy as part of my history series. If you don't know what I'm talking about. I have 32 episodes of this on the Patreon. I've posted a few on here, Kyle Kinane and Nick Vatterot, but the rest are on the Patreon. So I met Pete in 2004. I was coming into Chicago as Pete was leaving. I love listening to him talk about comedy. 
He said so many things in this that I can't stop thinking about. So without further ado, here's the great and hilarious Pete Holmes. And if you don't already, please hit subscribe. I vividly remember there was a, God, it was in Wrigleyville. It wasn't the Cubby Bear. It certainly wasn't any of the good ones, the the ones that lasted. But there was this open mic at this bar. High Tops? I don't know if it was High Tops. It might have been High Tops, but I really doubt it. I think it only, all I remember about it, Mike, was that behind you were windows facing the street. Perfect. And and you could see it's an ATM machine in neon. That's all I remember. Because my opener was uh, ATM. Oh, it said ATM machine here. That's what it said. And my opener, the only time I did it was, why does it need the here? I was so Seinfeldy, but I was like, why does it need to hear? What a disappointment it would be to follow a sign that says ATM machine and neon. You get there and it's not there. It's just like the first of a series of clues. But this one's like, no, 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 it's not that. It's here. It's actually here. Um, that's so a good that, joke. It's okay. Yeah. I, if I did that today, I would open with that. Yeah. Uh, I, we were at that bar and it's me. And it's John Barry, who I love. I, I, I think John Barry is great. And Kumail, who I love. And I think Kumail is great. And we're all at a table. And there were a couple other people that I, that I don't remember. And I said to Kumail, I was reading at the time, I was reading, it wasn't Comedy at the Edge or I'm Dying Up Here, but it was something like that. Mm-hmm. It was a book about comedy. And I was so convinced of the specialness of the Chicago scene while we were in it, that I said, isn't it crazy that they're going to write books about this this time? (laughs) And this is what's kind of exceptional, or maybe the punchline of the story, is Kumail, I don't remember what John did, but Kumail nodded in agreement. And, And the other people who I don't remember all kind of looked at their shoes. Um, But like, there was a real like, belief between Kumail and I in that moment that like, they're going to talk about this time. Isn't that they're, funny? You have to be the, a, the slightest bit delusional and have, you have yeah. to think like that. But for the two right. people who thought it the most, it came true. I mean, I guess that is sort of what, how I'm framing it. I'm like, it's me and Kumail. And you like, threw, in, and you Kumail threw in John Barry just to be kind. Well, well I really think John is very funny. But and the and the poor other people at the table are sort of the the sacrificial lambs of the story is because they didn't have the delusion. Yeah. And Kumail and I at that moment did have the delusion. And there's like there are people that we know, there are people sort of famously in the Chicago scene that had laughter ears that thought they ah. killed no matter how it went. Ah. And then there were that there were way more people that didn't have enough of the delusion. And in that moment, even though I was doing hot ATM material and not really, I wasn't. It sounds like you're doing ass to mouth if you, if you put hot (laughs) in front of it. Yeah. I, uh, I'm, I just said this on my own, on my podcast. I was like in the machine that turns the, the kid into Captain America, the vials that go down, one of them is talent for sure. But the other one is delusion. Yeah. And you want to get just the right amount of it. And I, I certainly in that moment had it because I was like, 
they're gonna say we were sitting at this table and That's it's it. not and you know what you know why i was right because it's me saying it. yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i've made it true wayne fetterman is not the new york times <laughs> yeah when he when he asked about the lincoln lodge like you might think like should he ask mark geary he asked emily gordon and god love her she's the best but that's not wanting the right answer. That's wanting to talk to Emily Gordon, which is your right to do. Yeah, no, but you, you've, uh, you've hit on something there. I, and I'm guilty of that, sure, too, I'm sure, where you want to talk to somebody that's really exciting. And let, let's be honest, the, on the list of adjectives for Mark Geary, exciting is not in the top five. <laughs> Mark, if you hear this... I think you're fantastic, and I hope you know that. Uh, no, yeah, exciting. He would make about himself, by the way. Uh, I'm laughing hard because it's funny and true and not mean, because it's tr- It's more true than mean. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes it's mean and true. Uh, yeah, not exciting. But yeah. he did a lot. Selfless, selflessly for 20 years, he did a lot. He did. I, I think I, the Lincoln Lodge was the room that I couldn't crack, though. I don't know how it was for you. It was my I never, favorite. I have a brick from the restaurant behind me that Mark gave me with like a thick. Uh, it could be any brick. I've said that before. Like he could have put a plaque on any brick. There's no way to authenticate it. It's a brick from a riot. <laughs> um, it's a violence brick. I There were two things in Chicago. Uh, boo fucking who, Pete. Like you've had enough love in your life. But blurreds and the lincoln lodge were two things that just drove right past me and i and here here's but you weren't there in 2006 when we started that blurreds yeah yeah that's the ego of the performer i'm like i should still be included no i talked to (laughs) i I talked to acosta and he was like chuck and blurreds like he's pissed he wasn't there and i because like he would have been in in both right an oral history of Mike Bridenstine <laughs> to a still fragile comedian why he wasn't part of a YouTube web series. Uh, that's what people want to read. This, <laughs> eat your heart out, Wayne Fetterman. Here's the hard Here's story. Here's the real, the real yeah. shit. No, but what I wanted to say was Lincoln Lodge had... It, it, it's funny that their thing was wearing a fez, right? Yeah, yeah. Because they did have like a secret society feel yeah, and I, and this is not uh, angry, but I was not in that scene. You weren't. So later, no, in my head you I were. Can... And in fact, when I say to you Guinness hat to make like to like I used to say Guinness hat to you to make you laugh. Like I picture you in a Guinness hat, and yeah. I specifically picture you on stage at the Lincoln Lodge when I say that. I definitely did Lincoln Lodge two or three times as a guest. Um, But then there were like the darlings of Lincoln Lodge. This is like, really what I'm making is a more asinine but larger point about comedy. Like when you do new faces like we did, when you do new faces, remember the feeling that you're not at the Hyatt? They book you at the hotel down the road? Yes, yes. So, So the reason I wanted to make Crashing the feeling that I wanted to shine a light on and tell other comedians you're not alone in this feeling is like so much of the first 10, 15 years of comedy is 
you're not at the cool hotel. Yeah. Um, you're not in a mainstay at the Lincoln Lodge. Clearly it wasn't enough. Whatever love I got wasn't enough for my huge ego at the time. And, and even blurred. I'm in New York city and I'm still like, Hey, why can't I like there, there's a bottomless cup feeling in the first 10. If I can make you feel better at all, if I had any indication or whatever that you wished that you were in it, you would have been in it in a second. Oh, that's really sweet. I actually do like that because, and I'm sure Geary, you know, Geary's had me since the days we're talking about, I've come back and I did the lodge later, like after some TV stuff. And that was great. And they ran it really well. And, you know, I lived right down the street from the Lincoln Lodge and the den, which is a huge part of why I did stand up is that I, my stop on the train was the Irving Park Brown line. And I would walk past the Lincoln, uh, the Lions uh, Den, every day on my way to the train, and it said Monday Comedy. Do you remember? It didn't. It doesn't say Comedy Open Mic. It says Monday Comedy. Monday Comedy. Vividly, Monday Comedy. And I was just like, what could that mean? But I was into improv, and there's no, no disrespect to improv. I still love improvising, and I love improvisers. It's an amazing art form. But I was still sort of incubating myself in the safety and numbers of improv you know what i mean it's the like when the aspect of it yeah the team it's like it's it is an improv team and it's also like a fat white guy beer drinking team you know <laughs> I, I used to treat everything like that that's right and when i realized that i remember going into the lion's den on like a tuesday so not comedy day just to go in during the day oh you cheated just to see it that, but just to see it before I went. Yeah. And I don't know. Yeah. Is, this might be useful. I probably told that that turncoat Wayne Fetterman this. Like he's a turncoat. <laughs> like that carpetbagger. That carpetbagger. <laughs> I can't think of another one. <laughs> I went to the lion's den the first time. And this is the advice I always give everybody that wants to do stand up. I say, go to an open mic and watch. And that's what I did. And I'm so glad I did. And you just watch, and it's not that people are bad, but they're just not, not everybody's a prodigy. So there's a space for you. Yeah. And the first person I talked to, when I walked into it, this is our, um, I'm dying up here. You know, like this yeah, is our yeah. version of it. Yeah, yeah. As I walked in and there was Robert Buscemi and I asked him how it worked. And he became a very close friend of mine and like a huge icon of the scene. Yes. yes. There he was. And I don't say this to put him down. Just like all of us, he looked he looked very nervous and he was sort of like alone. That's why like. What year is this? Do you, do you know what year it might be? Yeah, this was um, this was 2001. Uh, pre nine. Pre nine. This is pre nine because nine. That's your term. I stole it for you. No, it's fine. I was touched that you used it. (laughs) It's pre nine because nine plays a big part in the Chicago in our our scene. Yes, because there was pre nine, and and it was what it was. It was like a a good scene. It was a lot of people that I think like maybe were like me that got disillusioned with improv like it was really hard to kind of break into improv yeah <laughs> like yeah if you ask me like it was hard to get on a team levels um 
you had to pay through the classes. Yeah, exactly. And then I was like, oh, this place will just let me get up and be stupid. I was like, that sounds pretty good. Um, but it was pretty cash. And then post nine, the first, so 9-11 obviously was on a Tuesday. So there was six days until um, the next Lions then. And that was off the charts good. That, that <clears throat> specifically. Were you there when Fever played the video of a toy flying into yeah, the... Yes. Yes. Yeah, it, it, it's a children's show where two toy planes take off and then they fly into the Twin Towers, which had just happened. And um, it's literally when you start going like, the history of stand-up comedy is always a game of like, were we mentally ill? <laughs> so <laughs> you know many I mean? so many people have brought that up. Like, I don't know who's an asshole anymore and who just had like, severe like mental like shit going and were we mentally ill we've already touched on my delusion yeah yeah. that's narcissism that's like delusions of grandeur so i'm not just saying fever call that belief in yourself i don't know like what's healthy well in our culture narcissism and delusions of grandeur are both good qualities yeah they help you they help you out very helpful (laughs) but um I, I was there for that. What I really remember was the Elevated, which was that Wednesday after 9-11. And C.J. Sullivan went up. And he, I just couldn't believe, and this is what comedy's taught me as a whole, is that you talk about it. Yeah. Like, I come yeah. from a yeah. people, a waspy, repressed, religious people, that I didn't know that my that family members of mine had been divorced until they had been divorced for 20 years. And then they tell me, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. So here are people, we're all dealing with this thing that made us all feel very unsafe. Um, and everyone was talking about it. So CJ Sullivan is on stage at the Elevated and he's doing a bit, a bit about how everyone has the same story. Oh Yeah. You saw it on TV. You thought it was a movie. Yeah, that's everybody. Yeah, you couldn't believe it was happening and you called your mom. That's everybody's story. This, by the way, is one of the richest. It's what we do with COVID. Oh, really? At first, you didn't think it was going to last. Like, that's that's the angle. And he was doing it. He's in his 20s. Yeah. And he found it. He found what a, a, a room of top-notch comedy writers would have found. And he found it on his own. And he had the the courage to do it. The, like the Wednesday, a week after, and I was just blown away. And that those were the types of, um, you know, I'm going to say role models. These were all products of our environment. And <clears throat> when you saw people a week after 9-11 finding a way, like The Onion did, yeah. to actually be funny about it, and everyone, sorry I'm talking so much, but everyone... No, 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 this is great. Everybody that was in that scene got, they went from 110 frequency to 220 in in terms of pursuing their dream, because we all got a reminder that you die one day. And then we all were like, well, let's really do this. I felt like the whole scene said, well, then let's really do it. You think it was 9-11 was the, so, okay. So 9-11 made people think, fuck it. Like we're, I think so. Okay. What um, at that time, I know you, you felt like you could, you know, I worked at the Bennigan's by the Sears Tower. Everybody was like, my friend in the FBI said the Sears Tower is a target and don't go to work on Tuesday. 
Like that's the world we were living in. Yeah. So we started getting a little bit bolder with our jokes and with our with our dreams. That is interesting. You you yeah. made me think like I watched the Paul McCartney Rick Rubin thing on Hulu and he was like talking about how Paul McCartney was talking about how John Lennon was this guy named John that he knew and it's taken him all this time to be like that was fucking John Lennon. Like <laughs> all those stories were fucking John Lennon. So it's like, yeah, CJ's up there and he's in his twenties talking about nine eleven. But all these years later, it's like that was still CJ fucking Sullivan up there. <laughs> you know, yeah. it, it, not, yeah. I'm not comparing the two, but in my little own way, to I am. Us. To us, it was. I, 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 this is a slight roasty thing to say. You might not get too many of these, but I, one of my most vivid memories at the at the den was when Aaron Foster was hosting, and he destroyed. I had never seen. I don't think I had ever seen someone kill. Whose jokes would you think he was doing? Hilarious. Well, I'll tell you the joke he was doing. It was like God zaps you and gives you a cat paw. And he's like, and the punchline was, go try and get some pussy now. You have a cat paw. But like the crowd. (laughs) My. I would pay to see you do his do a cover album of Foster's material. That would be that would make me so happy. He was doing it, but like what what I was really watching was someone catching a wave for the first time. And I know uh, Aaron is is you know sort of complicated or whatever, but like that was one of the first people I saw kill. And I remember saying to him as he got off. This is sort of to your Paul McCartney of it. I like touched his shoulder and was like, that was incredible. And it was, and he, and he, you know, that look we all have after we kill, you sort of look drunk. You sort of look like you just came or something. (laughs) Very like self-congratulatory. I don't like talking to people after I killed because it's embarrassing. Like you're getting a real look at like a boy with a cookie and he's just really like, I have a cookie and he's trying to keep it together. Um, but I touched him and it might as well have been, you know, it might as well have been Richard Pryor or, or, or or Lenny Bruce or something like the scene at that time, when you say CJ was like Paul McCartney, Kyle Kinane taking his shirt off and going on stage, but then killing, like anybody can get drunk and take their shirt off in a bar, but he would get drunk, take his shirt off and go on stage and then kill. And what I was seeing was someone learning how to merge with the audience, like in, in a really artistic way. So these were great role models is all I'm trying to say. I'm kind of I'm curious, since Lodge was kind of like out of your like grasp, or at least in your perception or, or in reality, what was the aspirational thing? I could be wrong. What was like the aspirational thing for you or what was the like, I'm in, I made it. Like, for example, I knew that if I got asked to host at the den, if I did the elevated and if I did the lodge, if I did those three things, I was in like I was made. Totally. Kane, um, who I'm still hurt, doesn't follow me on Twitter. I follow him every time. Kane doesn't follow you back. No follow back. No follow back. And I will click on his tweet an embarrassing number of times 
to see if he followed me and he still doesn't. I don't think it's personal, but like that's how I still think of Kane. And getting in at the elevated, my brother was visiting and Kane made a video kind of before it was really easy to make videos. Like you had to put some effort in. And it was like a talking head video about the Chicago scene. And it was funny. It had John Roy in it. It, 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 uh, it probably Adam Crocious, all these great, funny people. And at the end, it said, and who's going to be the next great Chicago comedian? And I swear, it just peppered the screen with names, right? Just very gracious on Kane's part. And one of the names said Pete Holmes. Like it, it, so it was on screen for like half a second. But my brother saw it, and I saw it. And that's when I was like, oh, my God, I made it in the scene. That's like this, awesome. Yeah, this really con- – and the fact that my brother was there to witness it. And then when I hosted at the Den, and we didn't it, – it's weird to say this, but I have host energy. But we didn't know that at the time. No. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. The first time you host, you're like, I hope I have host energy. You don't know. Uh, and the way we booked it, we didn't put people up that were necessarily great hosts. It was just, they could do it kind of. Yeah. And I, I killed so hard at the den as the host that I never did it again. I, I declined any other invite because I was so scared that it wouldn't go as well. Because I got really, it was like a big crowd and they were a good crowd. And Kyle Kinane said to me, Dude, this is why we could talk about this forever. Kyle is probably holding a shot that he's sipping of whiskey. And he said to me, killing is the host or something like that. And I was just like, I mean, I still get a little bit starstruck around Kyle. And at that time, that might as well have been Mitch Hedberg, you know? Yeah. And he saw it. And I was like, oh, what the fuck is going on? Was Dwayne Kennedy around for you? Or he's yeah. a guy that like uh, people slightly before me, like really worshipped. He wasn't as much for me. And I don't know if I've heard of you talk about him or not. Was he like a guy? Was he? Well, Dwayne was at an elevated that I did. And dude, this is a good one. Because it was me and it was Kumail. Kumail and I, I, I mean, we're, we're still friends, but we're sort of like, and I would say this if he was in the room, we, we've sort of, he lives two blocks from me and yet we still only see each other every three months. You know, it's, it's a very LA thing. Yeah. Yeah. Neither of us feel great about it, I'm sure, but it's just like life gets very full. So when I think about those early years in Chicago, unibrow cigarette smoking Kumail, that, and, and by the way, soft, clammy, ruddy faced, every t-shirt I own is a free t-shirt I got from a bank billowing khakis still sagging my drawers because my older brother does i don't know what the fuck we're we're two idiots but we would meet and work on material it never worked we always just ended up talking um that those are the prime kind of best friend years of kumail and we did the elevated together and whenever uh duane was there it was a big deal here's a guy that's been on letterman uh we had no access to show business. So we both do our sets. And and again, Dwayne and Kane, Kane Kennedy and Dwayne Collier, <laughs> very, very 
generous, very gracious, meaning Kane made that video. He didn't have to include my name. And Dwayne knows that the young pups are looking to the, to the elder wolf, like, what, what did you think of our sets? And he says, I shit you not Kumail, you should be an actor. Like, I don't know if anyone's told you this, you should be an actor. He says to Kumail. Then he said to me, you should be a writer. And of course, all I took from that was, you think I can't be an actor? (laughs) But that's actually not even true. First and foremost, I holy shit, he thinks I could be a writer. And that is how I got my break into, after Montreal, my first like big break was as a writer. So he was picking up on something. Yeah, he's, he... I mean, he dude was on Seinfeld in the late '80s or something, mm-hmm. or, or early '90s. He was on, yeah, he was on uh, the uh, Evening at the Apollo in like '88. It's kind of he's been he's been around for a minute. Yeah, no, I, I I really like him. I really like him. He was so nice. That was the other way you knew you made it in Chicago, is if you on the Lions, then it would be one, two, three, four was a sign up then a reserve slot, and it would be that way. Through 40, because sometimes 40 yeah. people do yeah. it. And if you could get, I don't think I ever did, but if you could get to a spot where you were one of the reserve spots. Because Kumail and I did it long enough that if you pulled after 30, you would just leave after a couple That's hours. That's what I thought too. But unbeknownst to me, there was a second wave that was better than but if the, you stay. That whole Tommy Mayo wave. I had to work the next day. So I didn't know that there was like yeah. a whole Tommy thomas mayonnaise wave that came in from like uh senior frogs or some shit hilarious hugo's frog that brings up, i was in the booth which was a thrill that mm-hmm. steve was trusting me with the booth and for some reason mike i swear it was just because the crowd sucked i had already gone up and i was like let's just wrap this show up we need i'm looking at the list and there's like another 25 comedians and there's like five people in the crowd and it's we got to get the fuck out of here and i lit this poor sweet girl at like three minutes instead of four minutes yeah and mike this is one of my most vivid lines and memories if she didn't call me out and say uh actually it's only been three minutes i'm not going to go short just because everybody went long at the beginning thank you very much and everybody clapped i wished I could be like an infant's testicles and go into my own body. I was so mortified. I I still feel bad about that. It was not personal. (laughs) It was just, it was just, I wasn't thinking. Also, you didn't didn't know. I mean, I'm going to excuse that. I'm going to give you a pass. I, I appreciate it, but I still feel shitty about it. But, um, that it was, it was everything you want an early scene to be. There were things like the booth, Josh Cheney working the music, you know, Matt Eisenstein, when you're hosting, Dan Kaufman would pull you aside and be like, "Uh, Mizey's had like a, some accident or something and you need to help him on the stage. Um, All of the little things. There's some, um, there's some lore things I wanted to ask you if you were there for, were you there at all when George Carlin showed up? What? Carlin (laughs) came to the den. He did? Yeah. My biggest den thing was John Roy winning Star Search and saying thanks to everybody at the Lions Den. Where were you, where did you guys watch that? That's a I, well, I think I'm doing that thing we do with memories 
where I'm making the memory that I watched at the den, but I didn't. But what I did do at the den was after John won, I remember the booth I was sitting at. When he came in, we all clapped and we didn't, obviously we didn't plan it. And it seems sort of obvious now, but things like that just weren't happening. We weren't clapping for someone coming in. <laughs> you know, he just came in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were so happy for him. Um, but what happened with George Carlin? He came by. Did he do a set? There was a woman that he was married to, his second wife, who was doing a set at Zany's. And so sometimes people would come to the den on the Monday just to, like, work out. And Carlin came. And so everybody had that choice, that, like, Midwestern cool guy choice of do I pretend that he's not even here? Or do I go yeah. mob him and tell him that he's my hero? And most yeah. people did the, the the first thing where they acted like he wasn't even there. Wow. That is crazy. I'm sort of glad I wasn't there. I also remember the first, so me and Kumail, Emily Jerezis was involved in stand-up comedy television. Do you remember that? Yes, yes. Yeah, we, they, we talked all, about it, yeah. You knew it was doomed because it was called SCTV, which has already been taken. They did that it's on like, purpose. You think they did it on purpose? For yeah, the it was Comedy Central for boomers, too. Yeah, no, it was a bad idea. But it, it's like saying we're like moving television, you know, MTV. It's like, you can't, that's already taken. So it was called SCTV. And this is one of those things where like, you know, I was clean. Kumail was clean for the most part. Yeah. It's sometimes where, and then... That was usually a handicap. And then when the TV thing came into town one time with this weird network, it was suddenly really good to be clean. And that was sort of on my mind when I said it. Most of it was fear of going to hell, but it was also sort of like, it's what Seinfeld did. It's what Alan did. It's what Ray Romano did. All of these heroes in mind. So we did it. And I remember the first Monday after going to the den after you had done something yeah 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 which was, was was just a taping me kumail and dave coulier and some other people uh and then the next monday i just remember feeling like my passport had been stamped in this little way because there is so much feeling of inadequacy and i remember this will blow your hair back it was matthew bible who, who came up to us and was like that's incredible. But then he paired it very quickly with how did you get that? Who looks that sort of thing? Yeah, that's Pete Holmes. Please hit subscribe. There's still more show. But if you want video of this conversation and like 74 other conversations, that is on the Patreon. Patreon.com forward slash Brido. B-R-I-D-O. I give you preferential treatment. You can submit questions to the panel. There are World Series reviews, 1903 to 1959. I posted a ton of photos this week. I posted my 32nd Chicago Comedy History Project bonus show this week with Joe Kilgallen, the Red Mamba himself. Listeners of this show love Joe, but if you're not familiar, he's from the Joe Kilgallen podcast. He has multiple specials on YouTube. One of the best comics in the country. And if you like baseball, this is your guy. All of that is on the Patreon. If you want to support the show, that's also where you go. Do I need money? Yes. 
If you've already joined the Patreon, I fucking love you. We're still growing, and this week, Tony Tone signed up to the Patreon. He is a bona fide hunk. What a handsome boy. I know him. I love him. He just got a little bit more handsome and a little bit more intelligent. If you're thinking about joining, the water's fine. And fun fact, it's not illegal for women to join. Just, women can join. Patreon.com forward slash Brida, or it's mostly dudes. That's fine. And if you like the show, please tell other people about it. That helps me as well. All right, we'll get back to the show right after a brief word from our sponsors. This show is brought to you by No Coast Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu in Urbandale, Iowa, my beloved home state. Learn to defend yourself. Get back in shape. Learn from black belt instructor and bona fide hunk, JJ motherfucking bar. He's been on the show. If you're in the Des Moines area, stop getting your ass kicked. Go, go Plata, the fuck out of life until it taps. No Coast Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Tell them Brido sent you. What's the best way to handle the streaming wars? Judge all the content against each other. The Buffer Battle Podcast does just that. Joel and Tony, bona fide hunks Joel and Tony, are former radio co-hosts who pit relevant pieces of content each week against each other to determine who's the winner of the week. From documentaries to dumb sitcoms, these two will help you decide who wins, and at the end of each month, they throw it all into a no-holds-barred cage match to see who wins the month. Often joined by special guests, including me, your boy Brido, and pretty soon, Joe Kilgallen, to help decide the winners tournament style. These guys have fun making fun of themselves as they keep their passion for TV and film alive during the podcast. Tony's a film nerd, Joel's a music geek, and they aren't shy about their opinions. Listen to the Buffer Battle Podcast anywhere you download your podcasts. Hi, this is Dustin with None Taken Podcast, and I have listened to Hunk with Mike Bridenstine. Hey, this is Alan with None Taken, and I also have listened to Hunk with Mike Bridenstine. And you clearly listen to Hunk with Mike Bridenstine, so maybe you'll like our show, too. We post weekly episodes recapping current events and sharing way too much of our tragic personal lives. Give us a listen. You can find us wherever you found Hunk with Mike, or go to our website, nuntakenpod.com. And now back to the world's greatest panel. Fuck yeah. All right, cool. (laughs) These guys fuck. (laughs) Thank you, Dustin and Alan. You guys fucking? Now, here's the thrilling conclusion of Pete Holmes. Please hit subscribe. I used to really not like people that would get ahead of themselves and they'd like record an album, in my opinion, that was like before they should have been recording an album. And to me, it always it, it read like, you don't think you'll actually record an album at some point? Like, why are you doing this now? Like, don't don't just play the songs in your apartment. Like, wait until you... But a lot of, you know, like a lot of people, I don't think we're doing it to do it. You know what I mean? I think certain certain of us were like, we're, we're comedians. We're going to be comedians. I thought everybody in improv and in stand-up both shared my unbridled excitement for it, respect for it. I wouldn't go up in New York until I was going to move to New York. I would be like, I won't, I wouldn't disrespect New York by visiting it and going up. Like you're going to go up and meet everybody and then just be like, I'll see you in six months. Like you go to New York when you go to New York. You got to hit the, yeah, yeah. 
He was like, don't go to Mordor without the ring. Get the ring and then bring it to Mordor. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. Hobbit's taking weekend trips to Mordor, open micing it for Sauron. <laughs> He's don't emailing for spots in Mordor. Yeah, that's hilarious. Go, go to kill Sauron. You only get one chance to be the new guy in New York. I, anyway, but some people did that and, and it totally, you know, worked out for them. Like they're doing great. But I just had like a really intense, almost superstitious respect for, for stand-up. How much, um, like, I want to know how much of it, how much of the scene or specifically what there you feel like shaped you um, where you could be like, I am... I do this and it's specific. I think about comedy in this sort of way specifically because of Chicago, not because of anything else. Do you have any like examples of things like that? Yeah. Well, I do think that it was being in a city that didn't have industry because New York and LA both have industry. It's, you see a lot of similar comedians coming out of Portland. You know, I, I, I feel like a kinship to people that come out of Portland or, or Austin and stuff. It's like places that are doing stand-up, but especially at that time, if you were doing stand-up in 2002 in a non-industry city, like you were just, a, you might as well have been a Dungeons and Dragons nerd, but you were that so true. for stand-up. It's like so you're true. a fucking weirdo. And we took it so seriously. And But I do think Chicago... I, I sort of hate when people generalize cities, but I will say in my experience, Chicago is a no nonsense place. Meaning if I went, not that I'm Jerry Seinfeld, but if I went and did an open mic in Chicago, I think the grace period of like, I kind of know who that guy is, is even shorter than it is in other cities. I'm going to say it's- that I know that you have fans in Chicago, but we used to specifically do the, do the fuck you prove it if we're like this guy's from LA I agree I completely agree so I'm saying you're getting no grace period and there's no cushiness I, I it's not to say that it's not a warm place and there's some midwestern warmth to it yeah but like not in the scene really no it always felt scary it never like when I think of the elevated I get nervous I'm, I'm not like my hometown when I think of UCB Franklin, I'm like, what a soft, squishy hiding spot. It's like a pile of warm laundry that I can hide in. And there's no room, including the lion's den, which could be great. It could also gut you. And it would gut you three weeks in a row. And then you'd have an unexpected good one. And that was the same with our clubs. That was the same with all the clubs you could drive to. There was no bulletproof victory lap room. There was no bulletproof victory lap crowd. So there was a harshness there. I, I think I do think it has something to do with the winters. And I do think it has something to do with the fact that there's no industry. So the, the crowd isn't versed in like, yeah, but it's John Roy. Don't you know he, he tours? They don't care. Nobody cares. They just want... They have, it's not a chip on their shoulder, but they're not impressed. So you have to impress them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and then, you know, I really think uh, TJ had a lot to do with the scene. Um, I know there's some complications with TJ, obviously, but like, 
when I watch myself do crowd work or Kumail do crowd work, almost anybody from Chicago, I'm like, there's notes of, of TJ in there. That's so interesting. Even um, Cameron Esposito, like th there's just like little, I don't know if she got it from TJ, but it seemed like there's this. He had a move. That... He had a move that he did that I probably have stolen or borrowed or whatever, which is the guy says the thing to you and you beat him by attacking his technique and his thought process. Here's what he that's probably, right. you know what I mean? That's, right. that's exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. Instead of going at it one for one, someone goes like, I've heard this one or something, right? Most comedians in the 80s and 90s would be like, oh, I'm sorry, it looks like we have a drunk on our hands yeah, yeah, yeah. or something like that. And TJ would do what I would still do, and I learned it from watching him and his improv technique in general, was to be like, I love that this guy comes to the show to let us all know which ones he's heard and which ones he hasn't. Yep. Like he's going to be like, please sit me in the front because I'm going to yell out what material is fresh to me and what material I've heard before because it's all about Nancy, you know, like, and when I watch a lot of us, especially when we're improvising, I'm right back at high tops watching TJ before I knew him. And, uh, and he, he was sort of merging uh, Chicago improv and Chicago stand-up. Yes. And as someone who loved improv but never really considered bringing those technique techniques into stand up, he he came in. TJ TJ taught me a lot of things like doing voices. One of the main tips, if someone asks for a tip, a younger stand up is I'm like, when you're doing somebody else, tell us you're doing somebody else. Like show us with your voice. Like I I'm not saying you have to do an impression, but like if I'm like I go to the CVS and the manager's like. Are you sure you want all that gum? You want all this gum? Just something that lets us know that's the manager. And now it's easier to go back and forth. And that's definitely something that, that I learned from TJ. In my head, he's after you. So it's kind of surprising to me chronologically that he influences you in that way. Yeah, I, I mean, he was sort of after me. I, I didn't have the most overlap with him in Chicago because he showed up when I was leaving. Um, who, who are you running from the front bar to the back of the lion's den to watch every week? If you hear coming up next, so-and-so, who are you not sitting around and bullshitting with? Who are you getting the fuck back there to see? It's definitely Robert Buscemi for sure, without a doubt. And I was very close with um, Robert. It's sort of, I don't want to be two old men kind of feeling a little sad about who they're not really close with anymore. Um, but I, there was a time that Robert and I were really close and I got divorced and I don't know if this is what it is, but like oftentimes people who are married treat divorced people like they have a contagious disease. Like your, your divorce is going to rub off on them. Does that ring true? Like I was a couple and he was a couple and then, and then oh. all of a sudden I was divorced and we, we were sort of like couple friends. And then I think it was just like, a loss because the dynamics were just a little I've yet too to have that. I mean, I got married of, like in 2015. I, that'll be interesting to see. I don't think you do it now. I think it's something young people do. Yeah. Because yeah. you're too, you're too smart to go like, I'm going to catch divorce. And then Robert did eventually. <laughs> I wouldn't put it past me. <laughs> <laughs> 
But anyway, that's always what I've, not that you needed that or that anyone else would possibly care about that. But I'm having dinner with Robert and his wife uh, on Sunday. He got married again? Yeah. I went to his wedding. It was the kookiest wedding I've ever been to. I think I was invited to that wedding. Yeah. It was like peacocks and. Yes, 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 yes. He is sort of like a flower. Like we all are. He's a poet. Right. But like flowers are sort of delicate, meaning there are some comedians like, I don't know. There's some that it's just like they're bricks, like your Lincoln Lodge brick. You can sort of drop them anywhere and they're kind of going to do however they do. And then there are certain magical comedians that when everything is just alive, the scene, the year that it was, where we were with absurd comedy, where Rob was in his life, everything lined up and there was just nothing funnier than watching him do meet, meet, meet. And and all of these bits that like, and I don't mean this to disparage it. I'm really just trying to say how special it was when it was just the funniest. The whole world agreed in Chicago that it was the funniest thing in the world. And it was a very difficult transplant. You take that out of that and you bring it across the country and you put it in L.A., where he hasn't been the critical darling and we're not doing weirdo bar comedy that it's like out of place or something? Or do you think that all like comedy is different? I, what, what do you think? I could talk for 100,000 hours because I've spent 10 times that wondering why the, the, the transplant didn't take, right? Didn't take every time. It's like a baboon's heart. It is like, well, that's what, that's what Seinfeld says a joke is like. He's like, you have to get the, the setup into the patient and sew it up before it dries up, before it dies, before the patient dies. All these, so there's a click ticking clock. But anyway, what I would say, so when I say there's, a, he's like an orchid, right? He's an orchid. And orchids are, are really hard to grow, but when they grow, they're the best flower. Like they're the king of the flowers. And unfortunately, stand-up is sort of like a pansy business. It's like, we need shit that grows like weeds. We need you to be able to grow your... Pansy the flower or the term for... Pansy the flower. Okay. I just mean a commonplace flower. It's like, we need you to go to South Bend, Indiana and grow your flower in a mall on a Thursday and you're going to go first. So does that mean that I'm better than Rob? No. The system dictates that an orchid, here's, I'm telling you, you're right in an area that I couldn't talk enough about. (laughs) Rob is a pinch hitter. That doesn't, that's not a bad thing. I want to watch 12 regular comedians at an open mic. Uh, He's a, he's a submarining relief pitcher. You are a starting pitcher. You are Kershaw. That's That's right. That's he's. I thought a pinch hitter was the same thing. Like you send in. Send in Buscemi. But uh, but there's way more, as a baseball uh, total psycho, it's way more appropriate for a relief. Okay. It works just way more He's appropriate. Yeah. yeah. And you know what he is? He's a relief pitcher that throws weird, that throws like uh, a, a submariner. He's a submariner. Yep. Yeah, exactly. That, that once the batters, the audience, is used to like a certain regular meat and potato style, all of a sudden the weird guy, I watched that documentary about him, that throws the, the knuckleball sideways. Suddenly it's the best fucking thing, but you don't open the game with that guy. Yeah. I don't know why, but you don't open the game with that guy. Yeah. And then 
like so when i moved to new york i would tell people about two people i'd tell them about kumail and i'd tell them about robert buscemi and they would come into town every once in a while and i uh they booked robert on one of the nights at rafifi and i was like that day i was like this is it not only is rob gonna kill but i'm gonna be the chosen boy for introducing the lower east side it's actually the east village but introducing the east village of new york city to their new messiah like this is a thing and then rob was great but for some fucking reason mike it just didn't light the leaves on fire for whatever reason and i've spent a lot of time thinking about that and rob and i spent a lot of time thinking about that and then i would be like well what if can we make the bulletproof robert buscemi set and i used to pitch him ideas because i'm sort of like that i like penguins well, you know, I wrote Penguin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm so proud that he made that joke work. Um, I would say, like, is there a version of a bulletproof orchid? Like, we'd really would sit down and talk about this. And I'd be like, can you open with, like, good evening, my name is Robert Buscemi. If you're anything like me, you sneezed into a Ziploc bag half an hour ago and put it in the freezer. And then, like, bam, like, bam. Is there a bam version of you? And I don't think there is. And that is not a failure. It's not a failure of Rob. It's it's what he is. He's a happening. He's a jazz solo. Yeah. So much cooler than I'm trying to tell you, me being a a pansy, the flower. Yeah. What's a common flower? I'm a tulip. I'm a fucking, I'm not even a tulip. I'm a Gerber daisy. Just like a basic bitch Valentine's Day flower. And my my lameness, the, the ease with which I could reproduce what it is that I do, which is actually quite square and quite lame, was the fertilizer that helped me grow. Meanwhile, acts like Robert, who's like, I'm going to need you to put an ice cube on the rocks that I'm, uh, that I'm planted in every three days, and I need this much light and all that stuff. It's a better flower, but it's so hard. And stand-up show business Show, show it to me. Show it to me right now. Be fucking funny right now. And and precious wizards and poets and beat poets and jazz musicians like Rob, so much cooler, so much more interesting. Don't, the transplant is not favored by the environment. Stand-up produces more comedians like me than it will produce comedians like Robert. You're, you're knocking yourself a little uh, too much in that for me, because also you're, that's not true either. But- I, don't, I don't mean that I'm square. I, I appreciate that. I don't think I'm bad. I'm saying you're more unique than you think. I, I feel you're unique. screaming Pierce Bierce, and they're like, <laughs> yeah, not. No. That's a great example. Not until I had said, ah, uh, uh, what the employee discount yeah, at the, the dollar store is it just taken? Okay. Which is, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's you an interesting had, joke, but, but that's like a... You had to learn... That you, I mean, Picasso could, was a, could paint, and then he's like, what if I put the fucking nose and eyes over here? Maybe exactly. there's no... Maybe there's, maybe there's no platform of basic comedy... I don't know. There's all kinds of books. There's volumes of books written about, like, um, how you need to 
give them an old idea with a new twist or like a new or a, a like a new twist but like a whatever the fuck like it has to be something that they're familiar with and also in Chicago everybody liked everybody that's there in that back room of the waffle house likes comedy you know what i mean like um he might have been a little bit too much like Michael J. Fox playing the guitar solo in Back to the I Future. I think he was. What I'm saying is by virtue of being more easily reproducible doesn't mean you're better. It just means you're more lined up to succeed in the, the hierarchy of stand-up as it exists now. Right. Meaning even the weird things like Montreal – Okay, six minutes. Yeah. And 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 Rob is not like a prove it. it. Rob is so much cooler than that. He's a he's a he's a dinner guest that brought an iguana. <laughs> a living iguana. And you have this like Andy Warhol sort of like so fucking funny. And it actually sort of breaks my heart that we even try to take something like that. And go okay. Let's turn it into a Comedy Central uh, presents. Like it, it, it it's uh, and the science continues. By the way, there's still when I did New Faces, I'll tell you her name. I did New Faces, and there was somebody on the lineup that reminded me of Rob. Her name is uh, Sarah Squirm. Oh, oh, I thought you meant like when you did New Faces in 2009. Oh no, 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 no. Although. What I'm saying is, I, here's here's how I can summarize everything we've said about Rob is like, it's it's inability to be easily reproduced is so much part of the magic in trying to reproduce it and clean it up and turn it into a crate and barrel. You ruin it, so it really only exists on its terms. So the best way to experience Rob up until now was at the Lion's Den, yeah, and I still believe that there's a way. For, for Robert to create the magic of the Lion's Den feel because the man is so talented, also an incredible actor, and he's and he's I think he's very handsome, and it could still absolutely happen. It just needs to have that like Rob is the feeling of like you look under the bed and there's like a, a gnome city or something. Like you just weren't expecting it. But as soon as I go to Comedy Central and say the show is a under the bed gnome city. By the way, I know like Kyle Dunnigan, another genius, like has a hard time turning it into a TV show. But it's the it's the fact that they're not business minded, yeah. upwardly mobile, go get them type A's that make them so funny. So like you can't have one without the other. So I don't. I, I can't. I certainly can't figure it out. Can I tell you a quick story? My second time doing the den. I had I was in prime time. I drew like a twenty, and I bombed for four straight minutes. And my final punchline, the only thing I heard, the only thing was standing at the back wall was Buscemi just go, "Oh jeez, oh jeez." I've said I did. Go ahead. I was just gonna say I didn't know we needed Rob, not just on stage but off stage. There was something. That OG speaks to like his participation in the whole thing. Yeah. 
but I know those OGs. There's nobody better to sit with at the Lions Den than Rob, because he's almost like like the voice you just did. He's almost like an old gay man. <laughs> he's like an old gay man who worked in fashion at a fashion show. It's like, oh, darling, please. There's just something. And if you're at one of those like stand-up tables on the side, remember those t- tables on the side? Yeah. That are, like, yep. to the wall. If you're one of those with Rob, you're in a very happy place. Um, were you there for any of the crocious stalker shit? Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. All I know, Adam Crocious is so funny. I always saw him at the Elevated. I knew that the there was a stalker situation. And I remember feeling some of the tension, but I never really, I think I, I saw her or met her um, at some point. Um, so I, I definitely knew who she was. I also remember thinking it was amazing that he was so funny that he had a stalker. I know that's kind of a weird way to go at it. Everyone handled that so strangely because almost to a person, they find it hilarious. The worst thing yeah. that's ever happened to somebody. <laughs> It was weird, but if I, I, the thing, you know, we talked about TJ, Crocious had something that I think we were all picking up on, and so did Brady, Brady Novak, which was like, Crocious would go on stage and do that, like, women, like the fake motivational speaker. Yeah, yeah. Like, if you go to a party and someone's wearing the same dress as you, let it ruin your night, like that thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was... It was the intensity. One of the things I think he taught us was that like fully committing to an absurd premise is funny. Like yeah. it's not just what you're saying, it's the degree to which you're committing to it that is actually the joke. So if we're saying that comedy is a benign violation, this man should not be yelling this loudly about this. And he was, and he would just murder. He also had that bit about Shakespeare in Love, which Shakespeare in Love had, had come out not that long ago and he was talking about how hot Gwyneth Paltrow is in Shakespeare in Love and he was like talking about the time it was I'm embarrassed I don't know what year it was but it, whatever is the I don't even want to guess I'm guessing it was the I want to say 98 1898 oh does Shakespeare oh I meant I thought you meant the year that the movie oh. came out oh the fifth the no. 1600s I don't know it's got to be after the witch trials I'm pretty sure so I think we're at least 17 or 1800s it's got to be 1800. Anyway, he's talking about like, he had this line where he goes, Gwyneth Paltrow's teeth were so filthy that when she smiled, her teeth would fizz. And I was like, oh my God. Like, you're just sort of like a little breathless that a joke is so funny. Yeah. And that the premise was right there. These people are so clean and their teeth are so white and, and he just found the area. So he, he, him and Brady, and Brady, who used to go on stage and say, I'm going to try to fall asleep on yeah, stage. Yeah, 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 He's yeah. like, I have a spell, yeah. I can fall asleep anywhere. And he goes, well, you won't know if I'm faking it, so I'll raise my hand when I'm fully asleep. And then that was the bit. He'd make that last like three minutes. He'd start falling asleep, then he'd start raising his hand. It was just one of the funniest things ever. So those were also people that, that found ways to marry improv and stand up yeah meaning 
one of the biggest lessons I learned from the scene and from these people that I'm talking about is that it's not the words. That, that's what I struggle with. Like if I have a bad set, it's because I thought I was saying funny words and I'm forgetting my training. And my training is be funny. That's like, so interesting. I When I did my album and I dropped everything, I did actually, I did Buscemi's show and he goes, can you do 15 minutes? And I was like, no, because uh, I had nothing. And then I just decided I, I, I invented a term for what I did up there, which is I cutie pied my way through it, <laughs> which yeah. is I just was like a little cutie pie up there and I had nothing to say, but it was still fine. That's being funny. And that's sort of like reclaiming our inner bing bong, like the part of our <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. childhood. Yeah, yeah. I just knew how to be silly. Yeah. And the best sets I have to this day are when I am saying funny words, but I remember my bing bong. And you remember you're kind of allowed to say anything. Like, like yeah. you, you say anything. So if you can say anything, how are you not being funnier right now? You can say anything. Right. And it also helps to watch really funny comedians. Like, I would be remiss not to talk about Bronger and John Roy. Yeah. These were people that I would watch. And Bronger at, at well, there was Elevated and then there was, what was the other, Eclipse. Oh, that was uh, uh, Coyle's Tippling yeah. House? Right, Tippling House. I was in the crowd and I remember Sharon Hetzel did a joke about she was an overweight child so they got her chopsticks and she was like i could hold a pee a single pee with the chopsticks i remember that but matt bronger did a bit about falling on the stairs and when you're midair you make a noise like an involuntary noise where you go oh and it just transported me to a time when i was like 12 and i fell on the stairs and i went oh and i got it I got what it was like to be an audience member. Not that I didn't know entirely, but specifically watching stand-up. I want, and dude, again, he was just being funny. Yeah. Writing out the transcript of, you know, when you fall and you make an involuntary noise is not that funny. He made it funny with his like, and just absolutely (laughs) fine. That's so funny. Like, I remember one time seeing TJ go up at the, the lodge where he like decimated the room. Like if you were to pull every single person in that room, they'd be like, that, that's the greatest comedy set I've ever seen. But if you yeah. were to ha- type it out and hand it to them, nobody would even know what the fuck was happening. That's the difference. And that's what I'm still chasing. And that's what I learned from the Chicago scene, because as we're discovering, there were a number uh, of people trying for that, not saying Because when I got to New York, a lot of people were trying to, like, say the perfect set. Yeah. And certainly L.A., people are trying to do their perfect set. Yeah. And in Chicago, I think it was because it it, it was a little bit leaning into the wind. It wasn't always the friendliest place. You had to. And again, we did learn that from TJ. Like, don't start for 15 minutes. Don't start. Like... Like if you're at the Lincoln Lodge and the sound is coming from a PA system in the ceiling, talk about how you feel like you're making announcements at a hospital. Like say whatever you're thinking now. Don't go out and go, hello, 
funny thing about belts, and I think a lot of us were doing that. You know, belts are weird. It's really just a circle around your waist that keeps your dick from coming out. Uh, like that, like start. And, you know, to this day, you, you talk about cutie pieing. When I'm doing a set, like I'm always trying to remember, like you don't have to start. Like who is telling you you have to open with this and move to that and close with this? Like, just be a silly bitch. Be a stupid bitch. It's so funny because fun. so many things that you've said. I talked to Kyle for like three hours, and he, he said a lot of similar things Chicago. to you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Chicago. Uh, like, but he feels – he would see people go over at the den and be like, how's everybody doing tonight? You guys drinking? And he wanted to fucking murder them. He was like, what are you doing? Yeah, why are you turning this into a job? Yeah. You just turned it into like waiting tables, basically. Yeah. Yeah. And that's and that's what Brady and Crocious and TJ and a lot of and Rob Robert obviously were going, wait, you can this isn't a job. This is this is a happening. How much uh, credit does one David Odd deserve? Tons. I have a I have a ten dollar bill in my kitchen framed that Davod handed to me. You know, and again, Dave Davod is complicated in his own ways. Um, and there's a lot of love there. The the scenes, any scene, you know, thrives on your jazz ponces. You know what I mean? Like you need these people. You need, but also specifically the comedians that produce rooms. And I still remember who they were in New York, you know, um, Dustin Chafin, and there was one named Jeff Cole. I, I just knew the comics that were so inclined to start rooms. And Dave Odd will always be the archetypal example of that because nobody did, from what I can tell, put more effort into it. And that, that 10 that is in my, it's in my kitchen, it's, it's presented proudly was like, I don't even, oh, me and Nathan Trenholm used to go. Nathan Trenholm. Yeah. Do you know how, do you know where he, this, where he is now? Yeah, because I don't know a lot, but like, I I believe he lives in Vegas and I believe he's married and I don't think he does comedy anymore um, from what I can tell. But Nathan Trenholm and I used to, and Kyle used to do this, there are all these contests at the beginning and, you know, of standup. Yeah. And Dave Odd would have us do contests. And if I went before, I think it went like this. If I went, I think it went like this. If I went after Nathan Trenholm, I would win. If I would go before Nathan Trenholm, I would lose. But often it was like, and I would I would say this if he was in the room, it was like voting for a sweetie pie or a, or a naughty devil, you know? And like, if you're at a bar on a Tuesday night, chances are you're going to vote for the naughty devil. I, and he was great. Yeah. Um, but it really felt like a battle between like the angel and the devil on your, on your shoulders. Sure. So I often lost, but that was very motivating. I used to go, I used to go out and do sets because I was, I, I used Nathan, who we were always friends. Like we were friendly and, and nice to one another. 
but he, because he was always beating me at contests, I was like, I gotta, I gotta work harder. I'm not as funny as Nathan. I can't do it. I can't do it. So he, that actually motivated me. It's not a great fuel to run the machine on, but like a little bit of a healthy competition with somebody was helpful. I didn't know that about that. You were, I mean, that he was driving, how like, how much uh, drive did it give you to have like new bits every week? Cause uh, somebody else was going to have new bits every week. Like, was that a thing for you? It was. Yeah. That's why I didn't want to ever host again after I killed. And if I killed, I would worry about what I was doing the next week. For some reason it felt like, okay, to repeat material as a, as a standup, but as the host, I felt like you needed to be new for some reason. I don't know why, huh. but I remember sitting in a park in Lincoln square I remember the bit, like it wasn't even good. I didn't know yet that I can get manic and when I'm manic, everything is funny. And some of my best shows are, actually that's not even true. I don't even necessarily have a good show if I'm feeling manic, it's just hyper inspired is a way to put it. Yeah. I was writing this bit and it was about, and this shows you just how different times were, like how much more evolved and aware we are of uh, the police but at the time I was like why don't we just have laser tag in the honor system was the joke it was like why do we need guns like if everyone just agreed if we wear the sensors and I'm robbing a bank and they shoot the sensor like I go okay you got me like then we wouldn't have any more murder uh, and I remember writing that joke and the feeling was and I still get this feeling um, don't die. It goes, don't die. You have to do this bit. Don't die. Meaning wow. it literally feels like obviously before I had uh, a daughter and a, a wife and uh, more things, but when you're, I, although I was married at the time, she, <laughs> it's, it's strange that it didn't work out, but the thing I loved the most <laughs> was my laser tag. Um, but it really was, don't die. Something special is coming in the mail. Like Christmas is coming and you have to tell this joke. I don't even think it worked. But um, yeah, that, that drove me. And, and that was another thing that was great about Chicago was like Kumail, who believe it or not, was kind of like Woody Allen. Yeah, when he was starting. much different. Tethered to the we, mic stand. Yeah, and he always opened with this. He'd touch his eye. He'd go, hey. That's how he always opened. And the energy was indicative of how he said, Hey, like it never went up. And then when I saw Kumail in New York, I called him new male because he was so different. Like he was yelling and he was animated and he was excited and all this stuff. But if Kumail did a new joke, everyone knew like, here's a great lion's den memory for me. I had this joke. It was my big joke. It was called spill the beans. And I would say, do you think the, the phrase spill the beans originated in a situation actually involving beans? This was this was hot. This was hot comedy. Did Pablo did Pablo Castro like it? Pablo loved it. Pablo loved it. And I'm doing the joke. And I go, some it's an act out. I go, some guy walking on the street with a sack of beans. Someone goes, hey, hey, what's in that sack? Nothing. And then I go, and like no one was really doing sound effects. So the fact that I like did an impression of beans like made me stand out. And they go, beans. And then there, here come the tags. I go, and then at that very moment, someone lets a cat out of a bag. Yeah. People are literally painting the town red. 
And everybody in the room had heard this joke a million times. And I think I said like, there was something about old people or something. I don't remember what it was, but I added a new one. And I went, someone named Ollie lets all the oxen free. And the crowd elevated. Like everybody, everybody had heard the joke before. I was doing a standard and the crowd was great. And it was hot, it was packed, it was hot. And it just, boom. And what was the name of the I remember joke? that. I feel like I remember that. You may very well remember. What, what was the name of the, she was, she's a lesbian. She had short hair. Jen, Jen Slusser. Jen Slusser. The great Jen Slusser is in the front row at one of the circle tables. And in the laugh, I hear her go, there's a new one. <laughs> like, like he did a new one. That was the feeling. It was like this communal, corporate, meaning cor- like corporately together. Sure. Feeling of the scene. And what was the uh, Hulk? The Hulk bit was uh, you're watching Hulk. it the wrong color of Hulk, like a bird watcher. And you look yeah. at the and you'd go like, oh, my God, that's right. These were bits, by the way, I did that on a premium blend and they cut it out. And beans, I used to go on the road. There's a video of me called Pete Holmes bombing on YouTube. I've seen it. I remember that. It made me feel really good for some reason. Of course. Because you're watching, I drove that joke two hours north to Peoria, Illinois. And all that was a crowd. Full crowd. Opening for Bill Burr before he was Bill Burr. Oh, I didn't know that part of it. And I do the joke and it gets nothing. And you're like, I could drive this joke two hours south and it would it would be deafening. And it's just such a lonely feeling. And I'm wearing my red dress shirt because I saw the movie Comedian and I thought we were supposed to wear dress shirts because of Orny Adams. And uh, anyway... <laughs> I told you you this before, but meeting him at the improv on Melrose was like meeting Jack Nicholson in full Joker makeup. That's hilarious. That's great. That's fantastic. Yeah. He did my podcast and I was more excited. Orny has really big fans. People love Orny, but that's another great memory. Me and Kumail went to the, um, all, all I remember was the movie theater was at a, a major intersection. It was across the street from a pop Ellie's. Oh, I, oh, I, uh, Webster. Yeah. Webster place. Yeah. So we went to, and it was next to a Barnes and Noble and a Pequod's pizza. That's right. You can tell which of us is softer based on the landmarks. I'm like, there was a great bookstore. You were like, great pizza. Stopped cross. That's my favorite pizza. hundred percent JK. Um, <laughs> Me and Kumail went to the matinee opening weekend of Comedian. And we go in, I think we got there early or maybe we got there late, but we didn't see anybody on the way in. And we sat in the middle, we watched the movie. Our lives were completely changed. I mean, I moved to New York like two months later, maybe maybe four months later. Were you going to? The last What's that? Were you going to Before move? I saw, no, no. Before I saw that movie, I wasn't going to move to New York. I saw that movie and I was like, I, I have to be in New York. Wow. 100%. I didn't know what New York was. I didn't know it was a place where there's 
20 clubs and you take the subway around and you're running into all these greats and and by the way i was right it was it is that and it is fucking incredible and i love um but the lights come up after the movie kumail and i are looking at each other like we both had the exact same realization like we have to move to new york he might have even said that to me he's like we gotta go to new york and he came a couple months after me or maybe six months after me um the lights come up in the theater we look around it's the lion's den everyone at the 11 a.m showing opening weekend of comedian steve-o was there i mean had i don't know if hattie snyder was really there but it might it looked like if we wanted to we could have done an open mic then and there and that's when i met seinfeld that's what i said to him which is what i had always rehearsed to say to him which is thank you for making comedian even though who knows if that means anything. But. I watched that on DVD and fell asleep to it so many times that I can't hear the the name of the movie or anything without hearing the song that's in the deep. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the music in that movie was all temporary music that the editor put in because it's all these like, really expensive songs and then seinfeld liked it so much he was like i'll pay for it just put them in that's why it has like one of the best steely dan like uh yeah oh the streets Uh, of rome are filled with rubble but even to keep the song that plays when he comes out yeah you got to pay for that wow don't worry Seinfeld. i have another good one for you even the cracker jack song what do oh you want when you gotta have sweet and you gotta have nuts uh, and you've only got a dime? I always feel bad that he makes fun of Sinbad in that movie. He goes, not since Sinbad. In the Caribbean. Uh, that's right. That, and he's wearing a shirt very similar to the shirt that I buy to do stand-up in Peoria two months after that. No one talks about how much that documentary had... Uh, tremendous impact on our generation of comedians but it would be interesting to know it's interesting for me to know that you had a similar experience to me i guess if you i'm wearing that shirt (laughs) and black dress pants and dress shoes because that's what orny is wearing and that's what seinfeld is wearing and i'm like i guess that's what we're supposed to wear did you know what the new faces montreal was before that i don't think so okay and i think it was a big deal because that's what orny wanted yeah 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 and whenever I'm in Montreal to this day, and I love doing Montreal, but it's not like a home run derby. You still have to like, there are shows at seven o'clock and it's daylight out and they're not great. And like, Orny went in, uh, and I can say this to him, but he went in sort of believing his own hype. I would never go on stage and read an article about me, but that's what makes him great in it. Seinfeld said that. He was like, he's the transparent comedian. We, when he says, oh, I have to get my own door. That's how all cocky 25-year-olds that get new faces kind of secretly think, like, shouldn't yeah. someone be opening my door? And But we don't say it uh, because we have manners or restraint or whatever, and Orny says it, but he's a more accurate representation of the insanity that's going on inside of us. Yeah. And so it, it is when he's reading that, although that is, I mean, that's pretty tone deaf. Read the room. Not the paper. Read the room. No I was going to say, I was there when Aaron Foster punched Matt. You were? 
I haven't found anybody who was there. I saw it. You saw it? Yeah. That's Pete Holmes. That's what I'm going to give you this time. The rest is on the Patreon. There's like 40 more minutes on the Patreon. Patreon.com forward slash Brido. That is the show. Thank you so much for listening. R.I.P. Michael Clark Duncan. Love you.